I don't know why I do what I do. It is what it is. I must be crazy. Who does this? This week, we go with the great Aristotle, who said, knowing yourself is the beginning of all wisdom. Welcome to the Vanessa Landino podcast. I'm your host, Vanessa Landino. So this week, we're going to focus on really a foundational element of mental health and emotional health. And it's foundational because without this, you cannot have self-love. And self-love isn't really a negotiable when we're talking about mental health. I'm not talking about conceit or vanity or self-absorption. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about healthy self-love. You have respect for yourself. You honor yourself. You care for yourself as someone you love. So why is your relationship with your own body part of that? Well, friends, your body is the container that yourself is living in. (laughs) Okay, so this is foundational. We have to understand how to have a nurturing, honoring, trusting relationship with the body. I'm talking about your physical body from your tippy toes to the top of your head. Your body is the case you're living in. And so much of mental health has unfortunately followed a Western medical model that sort of cuts off the mind from the body. This is the opposite of holistic health. This is the opposite of holistic integrated medicine. This is old school kind of Western European American medicine where your brain and your mind and your mental health is happening from the neck up and from the neck down is for all of the other doctors. You know, the shrink is the checkup from the neck up, right? And what we've learned and has been proven, but what many people have known intuitively for millennia is that you cannot cut off the mind from the body. The body is the mind. The mind is the body. We're learning with rapid speed right now how every organ in the body is functional toward your mental and emotional state from the production of serotonin, dopamine, I mean, friends, these things are not all happening in your brain. Your gut is what produces serotonin. So the health of your gut is going to have a very significant impact on your mental and emotional state. All of the science is now proving what holistic intuitive practitioners have known for millennia. And it's a good blending, right? We don't need to live in the land of you know, I hate to use this phrase, but old wives' tales or, you know, even some elements of superstition, right? There's a lot to be said for folk medicine, but we're in a nice place in history, which is that Western science and sort of more classical scientific means of researching and proving theories is now matching up with intuitive medicine. And one of my favorite researchers in this space right now is Dr. Gabor Mate, M-A-T-E. He wrote a really meaningful book called When the Body Says No, Uh, And again, he's just giving you, he's an MD, he's an internist, and he's a researcher, and he's giving you a lot of information about how and why you should be listening and trusting your own body. I'm not an MD, so I'm not going to go down that path, but I am going to talk about this from a relational standpoint because I'm a therapist, and that's what we do. We look at the dynamics of relationships with yourself, with others, and we sort of take them apart, and we teach ourselves, and we hopefully help our clients learn how to do this the right way, the productive way the connective way instead of the disconnected way. So what am I talking about in real time? Many times my clients will come into therapy and they're in therapy because they're in pain, typically, unless I'm doing a premarital counseling series of sessions. But typically, you know, they're on the moon with love and bliss and dopamine. (laughs) But the rest of my clients are in my office because they're in pain. And they will tell me about tremendously stressful 
difficult, even traumatic life events. And those aren't the same things. Things can be stressful and difficult and not necessarily be trauma. Okay, trauma is a different category. But they'll run the spectrum. All of their life events, which are rightfully and understandably bringing them into a therapy session, they're describing all of this. And in the same breath, literally the same breath, they will then look at me and say things like, yeah, I don't know why I feel so depressed or anxious. And I think to myself, did you just hear yourself for the last 15 minutes? Just rewind the tape. You just told me about, you know, your marriage falling apart or your children being disconnected from you or you went through a, you know, debilitating life situation and you came back from it and you don't know why you're anxious on the backside. And there's such a lack of understanding about how our bodies communicate to us our mental and emotional pain. This is, friends, this is like going to a doctor. You break your foot. Okay, and then you go to your doctor with a broken foot and you look at them and say, I don't know why my foot hurts. This is literally the same thing for a therapist. And it's not your fault. The mental health community, and I'm specifically talking about practitioners, have done a miserable job of connecting life events and symptoms. The best place you could go to find this and understand it is called aces2high.org. A-C-E-S stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. And... They developed a quiz and you answer a series of questions and you get what's called your ACEs score. And your ACEs score, I think it's like one to eight out of eight. It's eight items. And the higher your score, the more, and this is research backed, the more it is likely that you will suffer things like anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts. I mean, why? Because the heart and the mind can only take so much. We literally sit in therapists' offices and we talk about such difficult things and then we wonder why we're in emotional pain. We're wondering why we can't sleep, why we can't eat, why we can't seem to function, we can't get through a day. My friends, you're not made of steel. You're not a robot. Your mind and your heart are strong and they're resilient, but they're also tender. They're very tender. And when we go through hardship, the body tells us how we're doing with it. And in my field, we haven't done a good job of explaining this. Why? Because we've put or tried to put a medical diagnosis on normal reactions to psychological and emotional stressors. When you go through trauma, when you go through loss, when you go through significant pain, if you were raised in a place where you really had to trust yourself and you couldn't trust the adults around you for any reason, and you wind up a highly anxious adult, you don't need to be asking why. From a very young age, it was drilled into your head, it's all on you. You're responsible. It's all on you. Who wouldn't be anxious? That is not the way children are supposed to operate. You remember me talking about Thich Han. When you plant lettuce, if the lettuce doesn't grow, you don't blame the lettuce. You don't blame the lettuce. You look at the conditions. Why is this not growing? That whole podcast, which I think was... We need to talk about depression differently way back in the stack, like over a year ago. That episode, I was kind of crying out to you as my listening audience. And go back and listen to that episode. I'm crying out to you because I don't want you to blame yourselves. I don't want you to think there's something flawed. Your body is communicating to you. So often our symptoms are the normal response to the stressor. They just are. And ask yourself, how else is the body going to communicate to me that I'm in mental or emotional pain other than with mental and emotional symptoms? So when we have mental and emotional symptoms, we need to look, okay, where's the pain? 
No, Vanessa, there's nothing wrong with me, though. There's nothing wrong with my life. Maybe. But my guess is, is that if you have mental and emotional symptoms showing up, there is something that's going on and you might be in denial about it. You may not have faced it, admitted it. There's something going on. That is the assumption I work from. The same way that if you went to a doctor and you were like, I am in debilitating pain and they did x-rays, MRIs, well, there's nothing wrong with you. Eventually, you have to find some reason for the pain, right? That's how therapy should work. We should be working from the model that there's a reason these symptoms are showing up. Let's get to that. You know, recently I had a client come in and I love working with this client. I've been working with this client for many, many years. And they were telling me about this traumatic event. They've been working through it. And, um, you know, there was sort of a, am I crazy? Am I crazy, Vanessa? Am I crazy? And I looked at this client and, you know, in therapy, we talk about we've earned the right. That means there's enough relationship there where I can just be a bit more direct or a bit more honest with this client. And I said, I'm going to say something and I'm going to say it this way. And I want you to know why I'm going to say it this way, because I think you need to hear it this way. Well, okay. And I said, give yourself permission to know better than that. You know, and there was sort of an eye roll like, yeah, yeah, I do know better than that, don't I? I said, yeah, at this point, you know better than that. You're not crazy. You know that. I've told you that for, you know, six years. You're not crazy. This is a very difficult experience that you're working through. And the symptoms and the feelings that you have attached to it are therefore going to be difficult and painful. But you are working through it. And there is healing and there is growth and it's starting to resolve. Okay. But I had to kind of look at them and say, give yourself permission to know better than that. There is a reason for what we do. There is a rationale for our pain. There is a connection between triggers and past events. So this week, we're going to focus on the development of your inner dialogue, not a monologue, a dialogue. And I'm going to break that down today. It's huge. It's necessary for the development of self knowledge because our relationship with ourselves, and I don't mean your emotional self, I mean your body your physical body and how your body presents its pain to you. Our relationship with ourselves must be listening, trusting, and honoring. All right, let's dive in. First, I'm going to talk about the outer voices because we all start life pretty much more attuned to the voices around us than the voice within us. We don't really understand that we have an inner voice except that When we have to pee, we pee into a diaper. And then when we have to poop, we poop. And when we have to, you know, eat, we cry. And so babies are actually very beautifully and holistically integrated into their bodies in a way that's not interrupted at all, but they're not aware of it yet. Does that make sense? So there's integration, but not awareness. And what we want is both in adulthood. So as children, we're focused on outer voices. Now, what happens when the outer voices, when we experience pain, whether it's emotional, physical, the outer voices that we experience typically from our parents, nurses, doctors, but mostly our parents, they are the voices that are teaching us how to understand the inner signal, okay? So what if the voice outside of us was fear-based? You know, oh no, be, be afraid of that. That's a serious problem. You know, you're sad, that's not okay. You're angry, that's not okay. What's wrong, what's wrong? You know, that's like neurotic fear about every little thing. We're not allowed to feel our feelings. We're not about, definitely not allowed to express them. There's this neurosis that if you're not happy and healthy, there's something catastrophically wrong. Well, if that is the outer voice, we never learned how to normalize the ups and the downs of life. 
We don't know how to say, okay, this is really hard and it hurts a lot, but this is also normal. This happens. No, we act like every normal life event, some of them very unpleasant, some of them very painful, but we act like they're all just like catastrophically going to swallow us whole. And what's the expectation if the outer voice is afraid? The expectation is that you should always be happy instead of the normalization of pain, sadness. Sometimes life is that way. The outer voice could have been shame-based. Well, there's something wrong with you. You're flawed. If you feel that way, there's something wrong with you. You're bad. Others are normal. You're not. Why can't you be like other kids? Look, your brother's not sad, right? So there's no normalization of our own experience, but instead of it being a huge problem in terms of a fear-based response, it's more of a problem because somehow we are flawed in it. So we get a shame-based outer voice. The outer voice could have been one of ridicule. What's wrong with you? You're crazy. You're an idiot. I am asked the question, Vanessa, am I crazy? I am asked that at least once a day, most of the time, several times a day. I spend, I actually spend quite a few minutes in therapy across a day of work saying and explaining why you're not crazy. <laughs> and then eventually uh, my clients get it. And it's really a beautiful turning point when they start to trust their bodies and they're listening to their bodies and they're no longer asking, am I crazy? Because they know that your body's talking to you. These symptoms are showing up for a reason. You're okay. Your job is to listen. Your job is to learn how to attend to your body. So I'll get into that more later, how to respond to the body. But if your outer voice was one of ridicule growing up, that you're, the suggestion is that you're weak. You're not as strong as other people because you feel what you feel. That's an outer voice. It could be judgment. You're bad, you're wrong, you're lazy, you're stupid, you're ungrateful. Sometimes we have caregivers that moralize our pain. You're an ungrateful kid. Look at all you've been given. How could you be sad? How could you be angry with me after all that I give you? There's judgment. So what do we do as adults? We expect perfect performance out of ourselves in life all the time. Now, the outer voice could have been ignorance. Well, I don't know what's happening, so just accept it for what it is. Don't try and figure it out. You can't know. And and the caregiver might have felt ill-equipped to address our problems. I don't know. You're fine, right? So there's like an ignorance about it. We don't even listen. We're not even paying attention. At least in those other responses, there's attention paid to the problem. If the outer voice that's addressing our pain is ignorant, we become afraid of the answers because there's this inner belief that I can't know. I can't know myself. And so what do we do? We entrust ourselves to doctors and professionals, therapists, whoever. First, instead of having a relationship with ourselves that is deep, that is knowing, that is trustworthy. Now, I'm not saying don't go to doctors. I go to doctors. We incorporate the trained, intelligent, excellent perspective of professionals. We incorporate those thoughts and those opinions into our own intuitive knowledge of our body. You know, part of my job as a therapist is to restore the connection you once had with yourself and reinitiate the inner voice. Why is that so important? Because my friends, the outer voices in your life become the inner voices. The outer voices that surrounded you as a child become the way you talk about yourself. The process is called, shockingly, internalization. 
And we might talk about this in a therapeutic context, like, well, my father told me I was stupid. Okay, it sounds like you internalized that. Now you believe you're stupid. We make what is external internal. How do we do this? Because we believe it. That's how other people's voices become our inner voice. Now, this is very important. Why? Because the voices we internalized are directing our lives. I want you to really think through this. Your inner voice, what you really believe about yourself and the world and your place in it, that voice is directing every single decision you make in your life. So we've got to be really, really thoughtful And we've got to do some serious work around asking ourselves, what voices have I internalized? Who did I believe? And is it true? Because if we internalized harmful messages of inadequacy, abuse, we will live as though those messages are true. And we're literally living and building our lives from lies. If we internalized messages that we had to do a certain thing to be loved, you have to perform at this level. You have to be this accomplished. You have to garner this much attention to be worthy of love. We are literally living, building, buying houses, picking careers, everything we're doing, these huge decisions. We're forming and fashioning our lives on lies. And to the contrary, if we internalized edifying messages of love and strength, we're living from truth. Well, Vanessa, you're talking about falsehood and truth. You're talking about lies and truth. Is that really the realm of psychotherapy? Yes, it is. Because I have had a client sit in front of me many times and make a rational, thoughtful argument for why they are a piece of garbage, why they have no worth. What good am I doing if I'm like, well, if that's your truth, that's your truth. Go live in that truth. Friends, we have to get past This notion that just because I believe it, it is true. That's emotional reasoning. And sometimes we're wrong. Just because I feel worthless doesn't mean I am. Just because I feel inadequate doesn't mean I am. If I feel inferior, I'm not. No therapist is going to agree with you. But yet in the therapeutic community, we say things, well, that's your truth. That's your truth. Okay, well, where does that stop? Where does that stop? Where does the emotional reasoning stop? Is there truth? I can't believe ever that a human being is a worthless piece of garbage. I don't care who you are. You could be a serial killer on death row. You have dignity and I would treat you that way. I can't see a human being any other way. Now, I don't like the actions that some human beings take, but isn't that all of us? But that doesn't mean that we as human beings are not worthy of dignity. So I'm addressing this sort of relativistic approach to what is truth. In mental health, I work from the assumption that a human being is worthy of honor, dignity, and respect. That is seemingly truth that has endured the ages. Why is this so important? Because we have to be able to discern if the messages we internalized are true. This is huge. Why is it huge? Because the messages are delivered to us as if there is no other way to think or believe. The jury is in. This is the truth. But is our life built on what and who we truly are? Or internalized messages of shame, fear, inadequacy, ridicule, judgment? Do you see what I'm getting at? We have to address core beliefs. And go back and listen to that episode. It's somewhere in the stack. Go back and listen to that. Core beliefs are always the result of internalization. 
Your inner voice has become your monologue. Now, I want you to contrast this to children. What is every child from like the age of three or four? Probably they never stop. But let's say three or four to like nine or ten. What's their favorite question? You know it. You're thinking it. Why? Why? You have to go to bed. Why? Mommy, that man's walking his dog. Why is he walking his dog? Why is the leash red? Why does he have to put a leash on his dog? Why is that dog brown? It goes on, right? It's never ending. Children ask why incessantly. And here's a little tidbit into the field of mental health. So do therapists. Why do you think you do that? Why do you believe that? When did that become your core belief? Why? When the outer voices become the inner voice through the process of internalization, and we all did it, it's part of growing up as a human being, that's what you do, we stop asking questions and we start accepting the inner monologue as a fact. We've stopped asking why with curiosity and now we're asking why with shame. Why am I so crazy? Why am I so stupid? Why am I so bad? Why do I keep doing that? Why am I so depressed? We're not really asking. We've lost that childlike curiosity about ourselves. Mommy, why is my hair blonde? Why does this itch? Why are my fingernails growing? Why do they grow this way? Why are my eyes blue? We've stopped asking why. We don't want an answer. We're just reinforcing the internalized voice. The inner voice, once it's internalized, typically doesn't ask questions after internalization. It thinks it knows. And I have seen and I have done this. I have defended and you have defended your inner voice even if you were dead wrong. We will defend to other people why we are actually stupid or inadequate, why we really are a bad person. That inner voice somehow got internalized somewhere along the path of our lives. It got internalized. We're bad. We're stupid. We're weak. Whatever it is. And we will defend it. That's how much we believe it. No, 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 no. I I appreciate what you're saying, but you don't know. I I am such a bad person that I dot, dot, dot. You know what I'm talking about. We defend it. You know, I mentioned this earlier, that we have these internalized beliefs. I'm a piece of garbage. I'm a piece of you know what. And I remember saying this to my therapist one day in a session. And, you know, it's funny when you're a therapist and you work with another therapist and you sort of realize what technique they're they're using with you. And you're like, well, it worked. <laughs> you know. But he was just reflecting back to me what I said. And I said something along the lines of like, I'm just, I feel absolutely worthless. And he looked at me and he said, Vanessa, you're absolutely worthless. And for a moment, I was shocked. Like, what? Wait, you don't think that about me too? You know, that's kind of what was going through my head. And then I thought, oh, well, he's using reflection very, very skillfully because I just heard myself for the first time. And that can't be true. It can't be true that I'm worthless. I was damaging myself with that internalized message, that inner monologue. I was damaging myself daily with it. But I had had to hear it back to get it, to really hear it. Now, why is a monologue inside of us so futile? Because remember I said I'm going to break down a monologue and a dialogue. Why is the monologue so futile? Friends, you ever been in a conversation with someone, they go on and on and on and on And I'm not talking about therapy sessions because in therapy sessions, it really is your monologue. I mean, therapy at the end of the day is a dialogue, but I need to hear a lot of what's going on inside someone's head and heart before I even know how to respond. So 
when clients come in and they talk for long periods of time, that's actually great in therapy. It gives me a lot of information, very helpful. And I might throw in a question here or there to sort of guide the process. So I'm getting some information that we both need to do the work. But I'm talking about in social situations. You know how the conversation is not a conversation, it's a monologue. And they go on and on and on and on and on. And the monologue is the perspective of a singular voice. There's no discussion. There's no exchange. It is one voice and one perspective. That's what's going on inside you with your internalized voices. Unless you have a relationship with yourself that is curious and honoring, you are in a droning on and on and on monologue with yourself. Therapy interrupts the internal monologue. All of a sudden, there's another voice. And that is allowed by the client. That's what the client is coming in for. They are requesting another voice that is very often challenging the inner monologue for the very first time ever in their lives. The therapist is now questioning assumptions. Beliefs are being challenged. We're asking for evidence to support a negative statement of personal fact. Okay, you think you're worthless? Tell me why. Why are you worthless? Use your rational mind and try and tell me why you're worthless. Well, I don't know if I can do that, but I feel worthless. Okay, that's different. That's a feeling. That's not a fact. Those two things do not necessarily always follow along the same path. So the therapist is interrupting the monologue. And get ready because we're going to present evidence to the contrary. I will unapologetically, willingly, and joyfully present evidence to why you do have worth, why your life is worth living, why you do create a positive impact in the world, why you do have reasons to feel safe and secure in your life, right? So the therapist is intentionally meant to disrupt the internal monologue when the message is negative. So what happens over the course of therapy? And this could happen in a friendship. It could happen in any kind, like a healthy marriage, any kind of life-giving relationship. It could be from a coach to an athlete. We start to hear their voice in our head. And we start to internalize positive messages. Your therapist, your coach, your husband, your wife, your spouse, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, whoever it is, they're giving you an alternative way of seeing yourself. And they're giving you evidence to support that positive shift. So maybe now you're internalizing a voice of compassion instead of a voice of shame and ridicule. Maybe you're looking at yourself and saying, you know, maybe so-and-so is right. I made the best choice I could. I did the best with the information I had. Or maybe we look at our mistakes earlier in life and we go, you know what? I was a kid. I'm not beating myself up for this anymore. Do you hear how I'm starting to internalize a different voice? My relationship with myself is healing. Maybe you internalize a voice of reason. This would be helpful for all of us. We come to these beliefs about ourselves and instead of just assuming them, again, that internalized monologue, the jury's in decision done, negative belief. We start to say, well, is that true? Is that rational? We start pointing out our own cognitive distortions. And I just put out this podcast a couple weeks ago, stinking thinking, right? Go back and listen to that. I borrowed that phrase from AA. We're starting to point that out ourselves. We're disrupting our own monologue. We are internalizing a different voice. 
We have a slower way of approaching challenges. Instead of emotional, impulsive, and reactive, we're starting to be thoughtful and intentional and responsive, not reactive. We're internalizing a voice of reason that says, well, hold on here, hold on, before you get all tied up in a knot, what's going on? What are the needs? We're internalizing useful questions again. Well, why am I engaging in this behavior? What need am I trying to meet? What pattern am I currently in? Okay, I'm anxious as all get out. Well, maybe there's too much on my plate. Maybe I've taken on too much and I need to return to more simplicity. Do you hear it? It's a different voice that's being internalized. Once you have people around you, loving, supportive, rational, thoughtful people who are speaking into your mind and your heart and you're allowing it, and honestly, often this, this doesn't even have to be a therapist. It could be a good friend. It could, it could be anyone whose voice you trust. You're now internalizing a different voice. What does that do? It cultivates your own internal dialogue. And this is where I want to go. The dialogue gets internalized. Not just positive messages of rational thought and self-compassion. Those are wonderful. And we want to internalize those beautiful, positive truths about ourselves. We live from a place, an assumptive place, that we are beautiful, worthwhile people who are having a positive impact on the world. We live from that place when we have internalized positive messages. We're not perfect. This is not about performance. It is about worth. We've internalized self-respecting, self-valuing, self-honoring messages. But we didn't just internalize the message. We've internalized the process. The asking of the questions. When negative beliefs come up. When challenging situations arise. When we're experiencing difficult symptoms in the body. We don't rush back to fear, internalized messages of fear. What's wrong with me? What's wrong? We don't go to shame. Oh, I'm so weak. No, the process is now internalized. What's going on here? What's coming up in me? What need am I trying to meet? Where's the struggle inside me? Where's the unanswered question? Where's the challenge? Why do I think this? What do I want to believe about myself right now? Asking the body, what's going on, is the first step toward healing. Self-healing. If you've been in a healing place with a practitioner, could be an acupuncturist, a therapist, a massage therapist, they're attuning to you in a healing posture. When you start attuning to yourself in a healing posture, your relationship with your body is being restored. So the first part of that is asking your body what is going on. If it's a mental presentation, meaning if there's mental symptoms, you're sad, you're anxious, you might say to yourself, okay, I'm feeling some depression. I see it. I acknowledge it. What are you trying to show me here? What's going on? Why are you showing up? Anxiety. I feel you. I feel you. Please tell me why you're here. What's going on? 
What are you telling me about my world? What are you telling me about the state of me in my world? If I'm in a trauma response, if I'm scared, if I'm in fight, flight, freeze, fawn, we say, okay, I acknowledge what's going on. What are you pointing to? What happened? What am I afraid of right now in this moment? Do you see we've internalized the process? That's the first part. Maybe it's a physical presentation. We've got a stomach ache. We've got a pit in our stomach. Okay, well, what's going on there? Talk to me, stomach. Some of you out there are chuckling. That's weird. It is normal. Do you understand? That's what a doctor would be doing. That's what a doctor would be doing if you went to a doctor's office. Okay, well, what's what's the pain doing? How long has it been there? How bad is it? Is it worse or better when you eat something? You're internalizing a process of how to become more self-knowing. If it's a headache, what do I need? Hunger, thirst. You know, I use this analogy a lot with my clients when we're developing emotional intelligence in therapy. So we're developing the ability to feel your emotions, name them, bring them to another person. These are all stages of growth in the therapeutic process. And I might say to a client, when you feel hunger, what do you need? Uh, I need to eat. Right, you need food. When you feel thirsty, what do you need? I need water. Okay, when you feel lonely, what do you need? Silence. When you feel anger, what do you need? Silence. When you feel ashamed, what do you need? Friends, the goal is for us to know ourselves so well that we know how to give ourselves what we need emotionally. And the only way that we're going to get there is to cultivate a dialogue within ourselves that is honoring, trusting, open. Do you see where I'm going? When we have emotional presentations, we're in an emotional state and we can't shake it. This just happened to me recently. I've been angry about the same thing for weeks. And I'm really listening to it. Like there, There's something here. There's something that my heart is trying to tell me is very important to me. And I'm listening to it. I'm not acting on it. I'm not, you know, going around and losing my cool. I'm just noticing it. Man, I'm angry. There's an anger in me. What's it about? I'm not shaming myself. Oh, I'm an angry person. Okay, I'm not labeling myself. I'm like, I am a human who experiences anger. Full stop. What's it about? So I might say to the anger, you know, I hear you. I feel you for sure. There's tension in me. There's a clenching in me. But I'm I'm listening. Has a boundary been violated? Where's the boundary? Do I feel taken advantage of? Maybe the anger is showing up to mask a more vulnerable emotion. Like I feel alone. Or I feel unsupported. Or I feel vulnerable. Okay, so we listen. Maybe the emotion showing up is fear. You're anxious, you're nervous all the time. Okay, fear, I feel you. What are you telling me? What are you warning me about? Okay, the function of fear is to address or point to a threat, a perceived threat. It could be a real threat or it could be a perceived threat. Which one is it? Is this threat real or imagined? What do I need to do about it? If it's shame, I feel you. What are you trying to hide? What about me are you terrified that someone's going to see? Why are you covering it up? The process of self-knowing is internalized. What is required to do this? Patience. Patience. The answers don't come immediately. 
You know, I'm going to share a story with you that happened just recently. I went with a group of people to Sedona, Arizona, which is a beautiful place. And it was a beautiful trip and everything was gorgeous. And the place where we stayed was gorgeous and everybody was beautiful and everybody was loving and wonderful. And something triggered an old wound I have. I was sexually molested as a child. And the second I got to the airport, I felt the same feeling. And I thought, oh no, why is that showing up? But it's random. It still comes up here and there in my life, but I've mostly worked through it. So I live at this point very free from that feeling, which I'm really grateful for because it was with me all the time in my teens and my 20s before I really got into my work. But it came up, then it came up again, and it came up again. And I probably had maybe between eight and 10 instances in a 48 hour period where I was riddled with the same trauma feeling of being molested and I couldn't figure out why. Now, an older version of myself, an old monologue would have been saying something like, you're disgusting. All the messages of the molestation, the shame would have been coming up really strong in me. What's wrong with you? You're never going to be normal. You're never going to be able to spend time with people in a normal way. What is wrong with you, Vanessa? What is wrong with you? But it kept coming up and coming up. And I was sitting at dinner one night and an old friend who knows me maybe better than I know myself in some ways was sitting right next to me. And I was at the table and I was starting to dissociate. I mean, the feeling was so strong. I was just kind of staring off and I could feel myself dissociating and I just, I couldn't do anything about it. And she looked at me and she said, Vanessa, are you okay? And I've known her for so long. And I looked at her and I said, Allie, this thing's coming up again. And she was like, oh no, is there anything you need? And I was like, no, I'm just going to try and breathe through it. But it's coming up. And I knew, okay, when I get home, I've got all kinds of resources. I've got colleagues I can talk to about this. I've got a therapist I can talk to about this. I can talk to Jared about this. I've got all kinds of support. And some of my support team was on that trip. So I talked to one friend about it. And then I talked to a couple other friends about it on the trip. And I was like, "Ah, this is coming up again. And I'm so thankful that they knew what to do, right? Don't try and fix it. Don't lean away from it. Just be with me in it. You don't have to do anything about it. I just don't want to feel alone either, right? So I'm just patiently sort of paying attention to it. It was so uncomfortable. If any of you out there listening, and I know a lot of you do, have a history with any kind of sexual trauma, sexual violation, abuse, molestation, it is a terrible feeling. I can't describe it. It is one of the most disgusting, icky feelings in life when that wound, when that trauma wound in the body represents itself. It's disgusting. It feels terrible. But I thought, okay, I can still be present here with my friends. I'm just noticing what's going on. I'm curious. Something that's happening here is triggering an old neural pathway. That's all that's happening. I'm just going to be in it. And like I said, I talked about it two, three times with a couple of people that I knew would get it and know me and know this part of my history. And I'm grateful for that. And I was able to enjoy everyone, but it was sitting there. It was sitting there. And even as I'm talking about it right now, there was one moment during one night where I had a really, really strong reaction in my body. And now I'm realizing, well, shoot, Vanessa, cut yourself some slack. You were in a trauma response for two days. So do you see how we move to a place of compassionate self-curiosity and knowing? I didn't have answers yet. I didn't know what was being triggered. I just knew I was in a trigger. And I also knew 
But if I stay with this, and it's hard to do that because the feeling is really bad, but if I stay with it, eventually I'm going to get some clarity. And I did. By the time I got home, I talked this out with a friend who's also a therapist, and we got to the root that, oh, okay, so when that used to happen during my childhood, there was, a, there was an assumption that I had that this is what's required of me when this is going on, and something on this trip was triggering the part of me that felt like I was under pressure. It was no one's fault that was on the trip. Of course not. This happened in childhood. But I stayed with it and stayed with it and stayed with it and was eventually able to go, oh, okay, that's what was going on. And I learned something about myself and I went to my therapist with it and processed it through many, many tears. Very difficult therapy session. But I also know the process. Okay, just stay with it, Vanessa. It'll heal. So what what does that mean for us in our everyday lives? Friends, we've got to trust the process. Everything happening inside us is holistic. We are actually unified beings. Our physical health is always connected to our mental health and vice versa. So we have to be like little investigators, curious about ourselves, patiently working toward answers. The tone of your internal dialogue, not just the messages, the dialogue, the process has to be patient, respectful, honoring. Otherwise, the answers may not show up. You know, a lot of the work that I have to do in therapy is I have to work through that really harsh internal dialogue that clients have with themselves. Why am I so stupid? Why is this happening? Am I crazy? And part of therapy is just, okay, wait, hang on, hang on, hang on. That's a really good question, but let, let's ask it with a little bit more love. Let's ask it with some curiosity, because if we do, I have a feeling your body's natural wisdom is going to show up and is going to point the light toward the path. Friends, it's real. It happens. Your body knows how to heal itself. So often the work of a therapist is staying out of the way and helping you get out of your own way, just like I have had to get out of my own way with all of my internalized messages of shame so that my body and my soul and my mind could heal themselves. And here's something you can trust. The mind exposes and reveals itself as we are safe enough for ourselves to receive it. What does that mean? It means if it's coming up, you're ready. You can handle it. There was a time in my 20s where I would get this trigger. This happened all the time. I Honestly, I don't know how I lived through my teens and my 20s being in this feeling all the time because it is the worst feeling. It is the worst feeling. It is so bad. Ugh. It's some sort of combination of feeling totally exposed and nauseous at the same time. I can't put words to it, but it's terrible. And I lived with it a lot, a lot, a lot in my teens and my 20s. And it really (laughs) explains a lot of the behavior I got into during that time trying to run away from a feeling. But I remember I would think to myself, no, 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 no. I don't want to feel this. I don't want to feel this. And that started to come up a little bit on this trip. And I thought, no, Vanessa, no, allow it. Breathe. Let yourself feel it. If it's coming up, it's because it wants to heal. If I'm feeling old pain, old wounds, if you're feeling old pain, old wounds, old grief, Yes, our impulse is to say, no, I don't want to feel this. But my friends, if it's coming up, it's because it wants to heal. So the work is to listen. Be ready for truth. Be ready. Be prepared to hear things and discover things and feel things that you don't want to experience. 
But if what we're after is healing, we have to be willing to be in a dialogue with ourselves, with our body, and start asking why with childlike curiosity again. The wisdom that is inside of you to prepare you and plant you on the path of your own healing is profound. This is why Aristotle said, knowing yourself is the beginning of all wisdom. It's a practice. It's an internal practice. We're internalizing different messages now. Instead of, I'm weak, I'm stupid, I don't know why I'm thinking this, I don't know why I'm feeling this, what's wrong with me? No, we're saying things like, what's going on? I'm listening. I'm listening to my own sadness. I'm listening to my own anxiety. I'm listening to my own grief. This is the path of self-knowledge. When we're open, when we're compassionate, when we are safe for ourselves, we're internalizing safety, right? Maybe we have a safe friend, a safe spouse, a safe child, you know, a safe whatever. When we internalize a safe therapist, when we internalize a safety, we become the pathway and the conduit for our own healing because we're listening to ourselves now. That doesn't mean we don't need a support system. I needed my friends on this trip. I needed their words of compassion. They grieved with me. Oh, Vanessa, I'm so sorry that's coming up again. Nobody played therapist. I appreciate that. I didn't want to do it on this trip. I didn't even really want to talk through it. I just needed someone to see me in it. And thank God I've got friends I can trust. I hope you have friends you can trust where you can say, I don't really know what's going on right now, but it's hard. And I'm just, I'm in it. Okay, we're with you in it. We're with you in it. We're with you as you're figuring this out. Practice patience. Practice compassion, curiosity, and resolve. Get some answers that make sense. Be curious like a child again. Why is this happening? What's going on? All right, let's pause there. Thank you for being with me today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing this. It is so wonderful to hear from you, to be part of this community. I love hearing from you via email. You can send me messages on Instagram. My handle is at Vanessa the Therapist. And remember, your soul work is to discover who you truly are. Are you getting it? This is a process. It's a process, a path of self-knowledge. Your job is to discover who you truly are and learn how to love that human being. I hope today that makes more sense to you. Till next time. This podcast is recorded in Nashville, Tennessee and edited by Jared Bentley. I'm Vanessa Londino and you just listened to the Vanessa Londino podcast.